am I on? It's my fault I didn't, I didn't test the, the mic before I came up here. As JR said, I am one of the elders here. Okay, I have a trivia question. How many elders are there at Mount Helen Community Church? Six, eight, there's five, okay? There's five. Two of us are on staff, that's Jason and JR, and three of us, uh, we have full-time jobs outside of the church. Um, does anyone, can anyone tell me their names? I, here's a hint. I gave three of them already. Who are the other two? Yes, that's right, Corey and Tyler. That's right. Uh, first of all, I'd like to just start by saying thank you. Um, 2020, we saw more giving from this church than we have in any year in the history of this church. We, as an eldership team, are called to be stewards of that money, and we have never given away more money than we, than we did in 2020. We not only pay our staff salaries and keep the lights on in our ministries, but we've given it away to people in need, the poor, missions. We've given it away for church plants. And I wanted to thank you. And I want to encourage you to keep it up. Keep it up. Keep going. Because we can pass that on to further the kingdom of God. Through our, you, can do, you can give through our app. You can give through our website at mounthelena.org. You can give in the giving stations out in the hallway, or you can give through the office. So again, well done. I'm really proud of you, and I'm proud to call myself a part of this church because of your generosity. Today, I want to talk about relationships. So there's so much that I want to say. Now, I don't know if you know this. We, we talked about, okay, so there's five elders, but there's also like all sorts of ministries going on. And my wife and I lead our marriage ministry here. Did you know that there's a marriage ministry? There is, yeah. And we help all sorts of couples in their marriages, but we also help individuals. We help singles. Uh, we work with uh, couples who have been through divorce. We work through, with pre-marriage couples, um, step families, you name it. So what I want to do is I want to talk today about relationships. And um, basically, this is, I, I, there's so much that I want to say. There's so much that I want to say. So this is part one of my 40-part message, Why We Suck at Relationships. Okay. No, I've, I got about 30 minutes. Can I say suck? I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. Okay, why we stink at relationships. Thank you very much. So, one thing that we have noticed as couples are coming to us, and people are coming to us, one thing, one major thing that they want is, they want fulfilling, happy relationships. Nobody comes to us and says, I want to be miserable in my relationships. So, we want happy, blessed, fulfilling relationships. And I'm going to talk a little bit about the starting point of our relationships, whether it's with our boss, with our spouse, with our professor, with um, whomever. With a, a, if you're dating someone, our relationships. And the Bible has a lot to say about relationships. But what I want to do is I want to focus on the book of 1 Corinthians. Because the book of 1 Corinthians is all about relationships. The entire book is about relationships. Let me give you a little background. The Apostle Paul 
has planted a church in Greece, in the city of Corinth. He spent a year and a half there, investing his life into them and building up this church, planting this church. He leaves, and he starts getting reports that the people there are infighting. They're having problems with their relationships. So he writes this letter in response to the major issues that they're having. And there's four major issues, kind of categories that he has. And so I made this little box thing here to help us kind of see what the major issues are in the, in the book of 1 Corinthians. And they're kind of broken up into chapters about how, and how he addresses them. So he addresses the problem and then he uses the gospel of Jesus in light of your problem, how do we respond to these relationships problems? How do we live out relationships with one another? The first issue, divisions. They're not unified and they're fighting with each other. The main problem is, after Paul left, other teachers came in, good teachers, and the people there formed as groupies around these teachers. I like this guy, I like what he has to say, and they all said, I follow this particular person. But Paul is like, you have got to be kidding me. Did you not hear anything that I said when I was there? The church is a community of people centered around Jesus. We follow Jesus, he's the center of the church, and the good news about who he is, and we're not going to speak poorly about one another, we're not going to break relationship we're going to deny our own preferences and we're going to love one another out of unity with Jesus at the center. The next issue, sexual integrity. In chapters 5 through 7, he notices and he's hearing reports that there are people that are sleeping around with one another. They're sleeping with relatives there's prostitution involved, there's problems in marriage, and the people there are like, hey, it's fine because we have freedom in Jesus and the grace of Christ covers it all. And Paul's like, no, not fine, not fine at all. He says, for those of you who call yourself Christ followers, Jesus died for your sins and he died for the broken relationships caused by sexual misconduct. And the Bible calls us, if we say that we're followers of Jesus, he calls us to sexual integrity. And he defines sexual integrity as sex is restrained within the context of a man-woman married relationship. And that is it. Everything else else falls outside of God's best. And the reason he says that is because Marriage is a mirror of God's covenantal relationship with us, okay? So we are going to stay committed to one another as a man and a woman. Anything else falls outside of that. I want to pause here and I want to make sure that you hear. We have a very, very different definition of sexual integrity than the culture. It's very different. And it's very hard to hear that for a lot of people. And for me, we all know that we are all sexual sinners. 
We're all sexual sinners, regardless if you're married or not. And there is grace and there is forgiveness and there is healing for our sexual misconduct. And we are all going to join together in grace and forgiveness and love, regardless of the issue. I'm sleeping with my girlfriend. I got pregnant. I'm heavily involved in looking at pornography and nobody knows. I have same-sex attractions. I don't know what to do. But together as a community, we're coming together to seek God and we're becoming a people who follows Jesus wholeheartedly in the area of sexual integrity. So again, Paul says, if you are a Christian, our bodies are redeemed for eternity and what you do with them matters and it matters a lot. Okay? That's the second problem. We follow God's commands out of love for him. The third issue, food and freedom. Food, kind of weird. Long story short, there's some folks there that are using their freedom in Christ to eat certain kinds of food. Others don't like it. And Paul says there's nothing wrong with eating food. Nothing wrong with it. But really, you're only thinking about yourself. And if eating something makes people turn their backs on Jesus, stop it. Because you're only thinking about yourself. The core principle is love. Love will deny itself for the well-being of other people. God's love is at the core of the gospel. Jesus died for us, and so that's what Christians should do for other people. Deny themselves, deny their preferences, and love like Jesus did. The fourth issue, gifts and gatherings. So same kind of issue here. There's members of the Corinthian church who are using their spiritual gifts, good things, in order to interrupt the gatherings, their corporate worship, they speak in tongues out of turn without interpretation. They're talking over the top of each other. There's, it's very chaotic and distracting, and especially to visitors. And Paul says they're not even hearing the gospel message, the, the core gospel message, because you guys are only thinking about yourself. You're only thinking about what you can do. And he develops this metaphor saying we're all part of one body, and all of us are important, each one of us, is not more important than the other, and we're useful for one purpose, and that is to build each other up in love. Love will compel a person to use their role and giftings to serve and seek out the well-being of others. So just kind of a, just kind of a side note, Paul does says this. The, the purpose of our gatherings is not for intense spiritual experiences. Paul said, I want intense spiritual experiences, but if it distracts other people from hearing the true gospel of Jesus Christ, then stop it, okay? We should deny ourselves what we want, and we should think about others first. So, have you noticed a theme running through here? The four issues. The broken relationships inside this church, and we're no different because we have broken relationships, and the issues could be the same. They could be a little bit different, but it's the same issue. The church as a family, the broken relationships is due to the absence of love. There's no love there. Now, Hillary and I spend a lot of time working with people helping in their, um, 
to restore the relationships. And the questions when people come to us, they're typically along the same line of thinking. Okay? It's usually something like this. I'm single. How do I find the right person? I'm married. How can my marriage not just be fine, but great? Or how do I fix my marriage? It feels irrevocably broken. I'm struggling with my boss, my friendships, my in-laws, my parents, my teachers, my employees, the elders of my church. How can I create or restore and, and have a healthy relationship so that I can be happy? So I can be happy. Because the questions are focused on my happiness and the fault of the other person. Let's get marriage counseling so that you can finally realize how much you stink at this relationship. I have a list of all the things that I'm looking for in a partner, and there's no one good enough for me. Why won't anyone ask me out? Why is my boss such a micromanager and a jerk? This friendship is so one-sided. They're so selfish. Can you help me fix them? And so we focus on how relationships should make me happy. But if you want restored, happy, healthy relationships, if you want a thriving marriage, if you want to find the right person, Paul says you are completely focusing on the wrong thing. But rather, Paul encourages us to focus on the right thing. Okay. In the book of 1 Corinthians, he pulls out two main themes of how to have a healthy relationship. The first, be intentional about finding contentment in your circumstances. Contentment is defined being satisfied with where you currently are in life and not coveting what you cannot have. Trying to change our circumstances and engaging in activities that make us happy is not going to work. Paul says happiness in relationship is not contingent on our circumstances. It's not contingent on our emotions. It's not contingent on how we feel. So, if you're single, be content in your circumstances. You don't need to find the right person unless you come across that person that you happen to be running alongside with and God grants you the grace to become married. And if you're married, be content with your spouse. Don't seek another person outside of your marriage relationship because your spouse is right for you. Find contentment in your place in life. Find contentment in your circumstances. That is so hard. That is so hard because we want to grow, don't we? We want to we get somewhere. We, want, we don't want to be stagnant. But he's saying, you can't control your circumstances. But what you can do is you can control your attitude about where you are. The second thing, be intentional about love. So we still haven't really defined love yet. What is love? We have to define it correctly. 
because I see all throughout our culture the word love being thrown around. Mm -hmm. God is love. Love is love. What does that even mean? So in our Western culture, love typically means that I accept, embrace, celebrate whatever makes me happy. That is the culture's definition of love. But that is not the Bible's definition of love. Okay? What I want to do is I want to look at chapter 13. And you guys know, I'm sure many of you know this passage because it's read at weddings. I want you to turn to chapter 13 if you have your Bible with you. I'm going to put it up on the screen. And Paul's going to give his definition of love. Starts in verse 4. Paul, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. I want to talk about kind of each of these points and what they are and what they aren't. The first thing, love is patient. It is the first thing that he mentions. The old King James version calls it long-suffering. Long-suffering. It's the ability to bear in all kinds of challenges. We patiently endure. The Bible's not talking about we're going to be patient with the abuse that we suffer. It's not talking about abuse, physical, spiritual, or any kind. But it's talking about the irritations. It's talking about the annoyances that come with relationships. You make a decision in advance that because patience is commitment and self-sacrifice in the midst of regular challenges we face in a relationship. So in the first year of my marriage... I confess that I was annoying. I would playfully, in my opinion, she would say mercilessly, tease my wife because that's how I showed love. I would tease her. And usually what ended up happening was I would leave her in tears. And I didn't understand why. Because... That's what all my friends did. That's how, we, that's how me and my buddies showed love to one another. But it didn't really work out that way for her. And for her, what she would do is she would wall herself off from me and not let me in. And my teasing ended up making her push even farther away from her. She wouldn't let me into her inner self, and she put up emotional ba- barriers Because she had learned through previous relationships, if you let people into your life, they would mock you and hurt you. And so she pushed me away. But both of us had the patience, knowing we were in over the long haul. We could have just called it quits and said, that's enough. It hurts too much to be in this relationship. But we committed to one another and were patient with one another. And over time, she uh, she began letting me in and I actually stopped being a child. (laughs) 
patience, committing to growth. Love is patient. In other words, I'm not leaving. Patience says, I'm not leaving. It's hard, it's tough, but I'm not leaving. Second, love is kind. Kindness is not simply being nice. It is the proactive decision to bless another person. Bob Lapine, he's an author, he said it this way, my goal is your good. I'll say that again. My goal is your good. If you want a thriving relationship, whether it's in your dating relationship, your close friendships, your marriage, we start with the objective of your growth, your thriving, your movement to coming into the fulfillment where God has put you. I'm going to be a catalyst for that push to see you be your best. Another story about my wife. She refuses to embarrass me in front of other people. And I deserve it. I mean, I deserve it. When I'm stepping out of bounds, every, people, you guys, if those of you know me, I'm an oversharer. I am way oversharer. I will, I will tell stories. I embellish stories. I love to talk. Sometimes I push the boundaries, sharing too much, going into gossiping, and my wife, instead of calling me out in front of people, what she will do is she will come and gently lay her hand on my, on my leg, and that is my subtle red flag to shut up. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> she doesn't call me out in front of others. She doesn't correct me, but she helps me grow, and we can have the conversation afterwards. And it's really awkward because I'm usually talking and I'm in the middle of a story and she, she does that and I'm like, oh, uh, yeah, I need to just stop talking right now. And so and people are like, huh, what? Okay. Because doing those little things for your spouse, her goal is my good. Philippians 2 says, don't merely look out for your own interests, which you're naturally inclined to do, but look out for the interests of others. That is the mind of Christ. Kindness is looking out for the good of others rather than yourself. Love is not envious. In other words, I will not focus on my own personal desires. God's love is selfless and not selfish. And really, true love, God's love, rejoices when others are blessed. We do not look at our own selves and think, I wish that that had happened for me. Love does not seek its own benefit and is content with what it has. This is envy is the opposite of contentment. Love does not boast. Love is focused on the loved one, not oneself. I'm not going to make it about me. Look how great I am is not love, while pointing out the faults in others. Love is not arrogant. The Greek word here means to puff up or to blow up. It's having an inflated opinion about yourself. It's self-centered. I will not exaggerate my own worth. Love is not rude. The Greek here means 
it does not act inappropriately. Okay, so let's define rudeness here. It's more than just a lack of politeness. Rudeness is when we treat another person as though we are more important than they are. And you know what it's like when someone is rude to you. They are thinking about themselves, how their actions, and they're not thinking about how their actions affect you. I value how my behavior affects others. That is, that is the opposite of rude. When we push ourselves up in order to push other people down, that's rudeness. It is not possible to be rude and loving at the same time. Love is not me first. It does not insist on its own way. It does not work for its own benefit. Paul says, we must be God-seeking and other-seeking rather than self-seeking. Love is not irritable, easily angered, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Irritable. I can tolerate weaknesses in others without snapping. That's tough, especially when you have kids. And you know the kind of people that are irritable when you have to walk on eggshells around them. Love is not resentful. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. It doesn't want to settle the score. It isn't looking for payback. I will not keep a running tab of how you've wronged me. The Amplified Bible translates it. It takes no account of the evil done to it. It pays no attention to the suffered wrong. Love celebrates God's truth and not sin. We've talked about this. Love does not love evil. It does not love what God calls sin, but it rejoices in what is right and good. Love. I will not cover up sin to seek or justify my wrongdoing. I will not gloat over someone else's guilt. I will promote what is right and good. Love bears all things. The Greek word here means to protect. Love means, it means to cover. It watches out for others. I will allow myself to be wounded in order to protect you. Love believes all things. I trust and believe in you. I really like this one because it, what it does is it takes away the burden for me to have to believe you. I can just believe you. The burden for, them, for someone telling the truth to you is between them and God. He's the one that judges them, not me. Accountability lies with God. Love hopes all things. I am rooting for you to win in life. Love believes you and shares a hopeful attitude for your best in your future. Love endures all things. I will not quit loving you when life gets hard. Love hopes all things. I'm rooting for you to win in life. Oh, love never fails. Love never fails. And I, I want to say this, for whatever reason, my notes didn't come up here on, on there, but what is, my love is always constant. My love will never falter. 
regardless of the cost, my love will never falter. Okay, so let's sum all of this stuff up here. He gives a lot of things, what love is and what isn't. But really, we can boil it down into one phrase. What is love? Remember, we talked about we can be content in life and we must love. Here it is. It's the intentional choice to put others above yourself. That is love. It is not allowing, accepting, or celebrating what makes me happy. That is not love. This is love. The intentional choice to put others above yourself. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Jesus is the fullness of love. He gave himself up for all of us in order to move us out of darkness and into the light to have complete covenantal relationship with God, restored from our sin so that we may become more like him. That's the exact opposite of the culture's definition of love. And again, this is love for God. To obey his commands and his commands are not burdensome. We, out of love, obey his commands. To make daily choices to love other people above ourselves. Just like in the first Corinthian church, when he says, at the end of it, that's not love. Slandering each other, people fighting with each other, preferring each other, preferring ourselves over other people. That's not love. Im- um, love is embracing sexual integrity. Love is obeying. In order for us to have healthy relationships, we must love like Jesus loved, making the intentional choice to put others above ourselves. Okay. You know what's really effective in a relationship? with your spouse, with your child, a friend. Raise your voice. How many times do I have to tell you? Now, if I got up in your face and I told you that, so close that you could smell my breath, what are you thinking? My, this is helpful. I wish he'd do that more. This person must love me. Scream at me more. I feel change happening in my life. (laughs) You know that's not true. Or if I give you the silent treatment, I don't know if you've ever given anyone the silent treatment or had it done to you, you're thinking, this proves how deeply this person loves me. I feel a change of heart as a result of that cold shoulder and that seething attitude. When I say it, it sounds ridiculous. But we do it all the time. But love, instead of cursing a person with judgment, vengeance, or punishment, and then walking away, moves toward a person, not away from a person. It doesn't push people away. It draws them in. I can move toward a person in love and ask myself, how can I be a part of what God wants me to do in this person's life? If you want to be a tool of grace and love in someone else's life, whether it's your spouse, your friend, a working relationship, you're going to need to ask yourself, you're going to need to be two things. Take on two characteristics. First is humility. You're going to have to be humble to say that even though the power of sin is broken over my life, 
but the sin, that presence of sin, so, sin still remains. I'm still a person in need of help today. I have to be humble. I have to be approachable. I have to admit I don't have all the answers. And number two, you have to have the courage of loving honesty. You have to speak the truth, but you have to do it in love. We have to speak the, we're going to have to speak the truth. Of, I, can't, I can't come up here and ex, explain sin away. I have to tell the truth, and I have to do it in love. That's, that's love. We can't avoid confrontation. We're going to have to come together as a family and in our personal relationships and speak the truth and do it in a humble way. And then we seek to restore, redeem, heal, and forgive. We have to begin the process of becoming more like Jesus ourselves and making the intentional choice to prefer others above ourselves. And I hope, I know that in all of your cases, that we have let life circumstances overcome us and steal the ability for us to be like Jesus. Breaks in our relationship with someone, they come from all sorts of things, from kids, disagreements, your job, money, school, conflict, loss that you've experienced in life, disappointment. And now we've become rude, irritable, angry, condescending, shaming, arguing, harboring unforgiveness, pushing people away, punishing people for their past offenses, participating in sin with them, and not helping others to obey God's best. And so, I have two questions for you this morning. Who comes to mind that you need to love completely? And how can I be a part of what God wants to do in this person's life? Who comes to mind? Is it your spouse? Is it your mother-in-law? Is it me? I hope it's not me. It could be me, but if it is, I want to restore relationship with you. I want us to have healthy, thriving relationships where we're not thinking about ourselves, but we're loving others with the love of Jesus. So after he, Paul talks about in the first 14 chapters of 1 Corinthians, he goes on to chapter 15 and he states clearly the gospel of Jesus. He said, I would like to remind you in verse one, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved and you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain because here it is. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in according with the scriptures and that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and he appeared to us. You cannot begin the journey of loving completely until you have completely submitted your life to Jesus. Jesus is the definition of love. To recognize you've missed the mark, that you cannot save yourself, that Jesus paid the price for your sins, and Jesus invites you to follow him 
and begin the process of becoming like him. And if you have never done that today, if you've never done that, I would today, I'd, I'd love to come and talk to you about that. I know that our elders would like to do that. Our staff would do that. There are lots of people around here that you can come and talk to if you have never completely given your life to Jesus. Jesus is love. Would you stand with me? Lord, we thank you for the sacrifice on the cross and for becoming the definition of God's love for the world. You didn't think of yourself, but you thought of us and you showed us how to think of others first before ourselves. Lord Jesus, help us to die to ourselves in every way and help our goal, in our, one of our goals in our life, to be the good of others. I pray, Lord, that someone here today who never knew you would come into a relationship with you. Help us to all move along the path to becoming like you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.